Welcome, welcome to another episode of The Examined Athlete. I'm Clay Reichenbach. We have another incredible story of perseverance for you all today. But more than that, we have a guest that is incredibly open and honest about her journey. And because of that, this episode is just packed with real wisdom and real perspective that was gained over trials and tribulations, that was gained over a difficult, messy journey. Our guest today is an Olympian named Victoria Stambaugh. And Victoria represented Puerto Rico in the 2021 Tokyo Olympic Games, but her road to get there was anything but linear. She fell short in the qualifiers for the 2012 London Games. She fell short again in the qualifiers for the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. She contemplated quitting multiple times. She battled through six separate knee surgeries, the last one basically removing her meniscus and one of her knees. And she's willing to share all that messiness in detail, which I'm incredibly grateful for because I think it's so helpful to hear an athlete of Victoria's caliber speak honestly about how difficult her road was to get there. So we certainly walk through Victoria's journey, which is fascinating in itself, but I also really enjoyed the discussions that Victoria and I had on some topics that I think she has great perspective on, and I think you'll enjoy. We talked about what it means to be strong mentally. We talked about the advantages of being different. We talked about the difference between quitting and moving on, which I think is really interesting. We spent quite a bit of time on how we should frame the pursuit of daring goals and how we should frame that versus achievement itself. And then lastly, Victoria shares some great thoughts on sharing your story honestly and being vulnerable, which I really thought was a beautiful way to end it. Victoria, I want to thank you for your story. I think you're an incredibly rare individual, and I certainly enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Ladies and gentlemen, Victoria Stambaugh. Guys, before we get going, I just want to remind you, if you like what we're doing here, please subscribe to the podcast. Please share the podcast. Subscribe to our socials at Examined Athlete on Instagram and Twitter. We're much more active on Instagram, but either one works to keep up with what we're doing. You can check out more about the show at www.examinedathlete.com. Your support Your kind words, your feedback will absolutely never go unnoticed. I promise you that. Thanks, guys. All right, so we're going to get going. We're live. Welcome. First, just thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me and thank you for being here at my school. So I spent a lot of time Googling you, reviewing your socials, and your story is fascinating because it is this great story of perseverance, which we're going to get into. And for me, it was a lesson in consistent effort and delayed gratification. So I appreciate your willingness to kind of extend that lesson here in person today and and share your story and walk through your journey with us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I believe that you know, everything that happens to us is for a purpose. And uh, one of those purposes is to share and teach others what we've learned. And hopefully others can gain knowledge and wisdom from our past experiences. We're going to get into your sharing later on in the interview, because I am I'm grateful for your willingness to share. And I do agree that without people like yourself sharing and being vulnerable in the way you do, it's very difficult 
for someone who's in the middle of their journey to learn. So we'll get into that later, but we're going to spend a ton of time on your mentality today, why you do the things you do, how you think. And so before we get into your story, I'd like to start there. You say, and this is a quote of yours, a strong mind is the beginning of any success. When you say strong mind, what does that mean? Oh, that's good. Um, Strong mind, I think that starts really in the heart, the heart, the mind that's connected. Strong mind being who you are at the end of the day when uh, you've had a loss or when you had a win. Who is that? Who is that person? So I think that's the beginning or the circumstances that happen to you. How do you deal with that? That's your mind. And how are you coming out of those? And where's your heart and where's your mind and how are those connected? And there's different levels to that. Starting in ground one, it's who you are after circumstances happen, um, whether they're good or bad. I find that interesting that you say a strong mind is linked to the heart. I've never heard it that way. And for me, having a strong mind has something to do with being at ease when you face challenges or setbacks, learning the ability to create space between that setback or that stimulus and your response so that you can ask questions like, am I going to allow this to break me or shape me? Let's go back and get into your story a bit. How did Taekwondo become a part of your life? My dad was a professional boxer and he he and my mom wanted me and my brothers to do something fighting related and they didn't want us to do boxing with all the punches to the face. So my cousins were doing Taekwondo. I did judo and karate before. And so my cousins invited us over to try Taekwondo. We joined. We liked it. We kind of made it a family thing. And that's really what what the motivation was for me in the beginning. (laughs) Started out just for fun. But you also say that you knew from an early age that it was your passion. It was your life. What was it about Taekwondo that made it stand out, that made it so attractive? For me, the main thing was watching Jackie Chan movies. So it was just watching fighting movies, specifically Jackie Chan. Like that was my hero. That was my idol. So um, when I would watch those movies, I would get inspired because seeing him do both the stunts that he did and the martial arts involved, I said to myself, wow, I want to do Taekwondo. I want to level up my game in martial arts and become like Jackie Chan one day. (laughs) Well, this is purely conjecture on my part. So correct me if it's wrong, but I imagine committing to a sport like Taekwondo had to make you stand out from your peers. I imagine that's not something that all the other little girls in your school were doing. I I imagine it made you different. So did you enjoy being different or were there times where you would have preferred to pursue a more common interest? Oh, it's very interesting that you asked that question. Number one, I've never been asked that. Number two, I was just thinking on that concept yesterday, just a random thought. It is funny how martial arts is, especially when I was growing up and before then, it it wasn't a mainstream kind of thing that kids did. It was kind of like the outcast sport. If you did it, it was just kind of like, oh, cool. You do that weird Asian stuff. Cool. But we do basketball and soccer and baseball and football. So yes, that was definitely a thing growing up. I was definitely, you know, I I did other sports, but Taekwondo was 
what people kind of identified me with, the girl that did Taekwondo, because no one else did any martial arts in my school. And especially as a as a female little girl, like that, that wasn't a thing. It has definitely grown. I can see kids and, and now adults wanting to learn how to fight, wanting to learn martial arts. And now it's like a thing, I think, with UFC. But yeah, before then, it was definitely an outcast kind of sport. That's where the question came from, is now that the UFC exists, judo has become mainstream. But when I was growing up, it was not something that people did. We all watched movies and kind of thought it was cool. But I imagine for a 13, 14-year-old girl who was competing at a high level, it had to make you a bit different. And I'm actually a pretty big fan of embracing being different because I tend to admire people that don't take the typical path, that take an atypical path. But that's challenging for young people. Most young people want to fit in. And so what would you tell people or tell young people about being different? Growing up, I definitely felt that. Number one, I wasn't like the girly girl growing up. So growing up into certain stages, I definitely was like that tomboy. I had I have three brothers. So I was growing up with boys and my cousins. And I did all kinds of sports because I was an athlete. And that was easy for me being an athlete. That's what I did. Another thing was my parents were together. And at that time, it was, it was very common for kids parents not to be together and I almost felt outcast because I was one of the only kids in my class to have their parents together so it was just like a lot of little things that I grew up with being different or being um not like all the other kids and I had to deal with that and do you think it became a strength for you late in life oh absolutely it uh, allows you to be content you know with being different you know especially with my faith as well it's not always the common thing with people around me. And you have to be able to know who you are and be confident in that and not let anyone bring you down because they're not the same or they don't have the same beliefs or they don't do the same thing as you. Be confident in who you are and what you do and allow that to be you and, and be your story. Well, my observation from the outside looking in is anyone who has done what you've done is different. Because you're rare. Anyone who's gone through the number of surgeries you've gone through, the number of years you've gone through, anyone who's been an Olympian is going to be different, is going to stand out. And I think that's the power of embracing being different is a realization that anyone that does something really powerful in life is rare and is going to stand out from the crowd. And I think that says something about you that from a very young age, you kind of embrace being different. And maybe it played into your traits. It played into your aptitudes, but you were willing to embrace it. And I think that that maybe speaks to where you went later on in life. Well, that's so good. That's that's really good how you said that, because the truth is, ever since I was little, I always wanted to be different. I didn't want to be like everyone else. Not only was I just wasn't just by the things that I did and just how I grew up, but I just I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be, you know, the little girl that that did girly things all the time. Like, why can't girls do sports uh, and be, you know, kind of tomboyish and go out with the guys and play? Like, why do we have to? Or kick people in the head. Exactly. Like, <laughs> why not? Why is, why is that not a thing? Um, well, I think so, the interesting yeah. thing, Victoria, is embracing your different being different being yourself let's put it that way 
I think it oftentimes is thought of as the easier road. And again, we're going to get there to your openness and your vulnerability is that it's not the easier road. Being unique, being yourself is actually a more challenging road, but it's the more rewarding road. And we're going to get there for sure. Let's stay on this path for a while. At what point does this fun, this passion with your family turn into something that you want to pursue with the best in the world. When does it turn into, I want to be an Olympian or I want to compete against the best in the world? It wasn't until I was was 14 and I made the junior national team for the USA. So I made US junior national team. And that was the experience for me that told me, wow, I'm on the world field. Like I can become the Olympic field eventually. So I think it was when I was 14, I made USA junior national team and I had that experience of competing international on the a world stage. And that was it for me that I said, you know, I think I'm going to go for the Olympics. That was finally in my mindset. Before that, I, it was more of smaller goals, uh, winning nationals and then making U.S. national team. And then from there, when I made national team, the goals got bigger. So it went to Olympic dreams. This is a question I actually added to this outline just yesterday. I don't know why it took me so long to get here, but I wanted to ask you about this. At some point when I was thinking about this pursuit, I'm going, this is a fight. You're pursuing combat and physical violence with the world's best trained fighters, those that are trained in doling out violence or physical damage. I assume fear has to play a role in your pursuit? And maybe not. Uh, What I want to know is what emotions you experience going into a fight. If you could start with that 14, 15 year old girl, what emotions did she experience going into a fight? And then how did those emotions evolve as you grew? The biggest thing for me, it was nerves, nerves, being nervous and not wanting to lose. I didn't want to lose. So it was the loss over the physical violence that you were nervous about. I wasn't I wasn't afraid of the contact. I've never been afraid of the contact. I've never been afraid of the physical aspect of Taekwondo. It's never been that for me. When I was growing up, preparing myself for that stage, for that, for competing uh, nationally, internationally, I was training with older girls and older guys that were knocking me and hitting me hard and making me cry almost every training. So going into competition with someone who is my weight category, my age group, a female, I wasn't afraid of anyone. What I was more afraid of is losing and um, the nerves. I would definitely get nervous. Well, I'm already seeing a reoccurring theme. You realize that's rare to not be afraid of the physical violence, that someone may end up knocking you out in this (laughs) fight. And to not be thinking about that, I think that's something that's always rare, whether you realize that or not. I never thought about the possibility of being knocked out or uh, hit hard or anything like that. As I kept growing into the sport, it was more of not wanting to lose. So that was always the biggest thing for me. I think that was something that I struggled with, having pressure from uh, friends, family, uh, teammates, coaches. So having that pressure on me, that's always been a thing for me. And then not wanting to lose. Just, yeah, expectations. Yeah, expectations and then, for yeah, me. I yeah, think most absolutely. athletes fight that. The 
balance is figuring out how to use that to drive you, but not negatively take away from your performance. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, in my mind, it's like, I can't fail. Like, it, there's no failing. There's no losing. I think sometimes when you think of that, it does the opposite effect. You know, it kind of hurts you. You know, it's what we focus yeah, on. Yeah, especially when failure is a big part of your journey. For anyone who takes on the type of mountains that you've tried to climb and climbed in your life. Well, let's fast forward a bit, Victoria, to 2012. I want you to walk me through this roller coaster of emotions that was the buildup to the 2012 Olympics. You had already had one knee surgery, I think, in 2010. Yes. But in 2012, it appears to me that you were a rising star in the sport. As you mentioned, you were actually on the verge of maybe making a U.S. Olympic team in 2012. You ended up competing for Puerto Rico later in life. But at the 11th hour, the United States team decides not to compete in your weight class, which had to be frustrating and confusing. So walk me through that experience, that build up to the 2012 Olympics. So what happened was 2010 is when the U.S. announced that they were not going to take my weight category for the London Olympics. And so I was competing for the U.S. up until 2010. I was coming back from my ACL knee surgery during that year. They made the decision that they're not going to take my weight category. So I was kind of bummed and started looking at other options that I can do. And someone told me, hey, you know, you can try and compete for Puerto Rico because your family's from Puerto Rico. And so anyways, long story short. Can I pause you? Why would they not compete in your weight class? They just didn't have enough competitors. What's the reason behind that? For Taekwondo in each nation, so each Olympic committee can take two weight divisions for females and two weight divisions for males for the Olympics. So in the world class category for Taekwondo, there's eight female divisions and eight male divisions. And they can only take two of they the eight. They can only take two of the eight. So what they do for the Olympic now, now this is what happens. Now there's world class divisions. So they compete at everywhere besides games. And then there's the games division. So that's the Olympic weight categories. And so what they do is with the eight categories, they end up combining two categories together, making four Olympic categories. And now so there's four Olympic categories. Out of the four, only two can compete at the Olympics. So it's not terribly uncommon for a large group of athletes in Taekwondo to not have an option. Oh, gosh. To even have your weight category picked for the Olympics is a huge deal. It's a huge deal because what about all the other weight categories? So it's like all the weight categories are like competing against each other. You're not only competing against the people in your weight category. You're also competing against the other people in different weight categories. That's fascinating. And it changes each year. So the United States may take two weight categories one year, but then the next four years, they may choose two totally different ones. Absolutely. Depending upon, I'm guessing, where their best athletes are. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay. So to make a long story short, Puerto Rico invites you to join their team in your Olympic pursuit, correct? Yes. In 2011, that's when I transitioned from USA to Puerto Rico. The next year, I end up going to the Pan Am Championships in Bolivia, and then that's when I tear my ACL and meniscus in my left knee. So it was the opposite knee of my first surgery in 2010. That surgery just kind of puts me back, but 
it shoots me forward so much faster eventually, if that makes sense. But that ended your 2012 Olympic hopes, correct? Absolutely. And my understanding from my research is that you were in a pretty bad place at this point. You were planning to quit, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wanted to quit. As soon as that happened, I, I go back to the holding area. I knew exactly what happened. I knew it was the ACL because I can feel I, it was the same feeling as 2010. And it felt even worse. So I, I felt like there was something more going on than just the ACL. And I ended up being correct on that. I was there in the holding area. I remember covering my face. I was crying, telling myself like, I'm done. I'm quitting. That's it. And literally, I, I remember as soon as I say that, I have a coach I'm saying this in my head. I'm not saying it out loud. And I'm like covering my face. I'm crying. And soon as I say that, a coach comes over to me, takes my hand off my face and tells me, don't quit. Come back. And right then and there, it was just like, you know, someone just kind of punched me in the chest or like woke me up with water. And my tears kind of went away pretty quickly after that. It was kind of, it was just a weird moment of, not explainable. So it was a moment of something that kind of like changed my heart, changed my mind that quickly. It was pretty I, yeah, quick. <laughs> I want to stop and pause there. I've done this before, but I like to point out the importance of those voices, those influential voices in those moments, because that moment seems pretty small looking back, but it turns out to be incredibly impactful. And oftentimes I think because they're small moments, they're overlooked by those influential voices, but the power of one comment from a coach or one piece of encouragement or one kind word from a friend can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. And I think the fact that you realize that that one small moment, that one small comment changed your trajectory is pretty powerful. I can't say this enough, and I've said it on the podcast before, is if you see a light in someone, take the time to point it out. Take the time to encourage someone. It may seem trivial to you as the one delivering that comment, but when someone believes in you, when you don't really believe in yourself, it's a really powerful thing. I call that giving someone permission to believe. I think that's what the coach did for you. Oh, yeah. Is it he gave you or she, I don't know who it was, he gave you permission to believe when you really didn't believe in yourself. And I think that pointing those moments out helps other leaders or other just voices. It could be a friend realize how important and how impactful one comment can be. No, absolutely. You never know. You never know how powerful your words are, the timing. I, I believe, you know, God puts certain people in our lives at a certain time and a certain place for a specific person, specific reason, excuse me. I, I truly believe that. And so I know that moment, it was set up. It was just... God giving me that little push, that encouragement not to give up. I, I say this all the time. I know when God speaks to us, it's not a big voice from heaven, super loud like thunder, you know, speaking to us. It's it's people. It's people in front of us that's giving us that word that maybe we needed to hear. The answer that we've been praying for, it's given to us by people. The things we say, the things we do, you never know when you're going to be an answer to someone's prayers or a blessing to someone's life. So that's so good saying that because whenever you feel that prompting in your heart to say something, I definitely will 
say be encouraged to do it. Do it. Just do, do it. it. I you I have two young know. I have two young girls and I have a couple of things I say to them every morning. And one of them is encourage someone today. What I'm trying to implement into them is to do that. Is to say I love your hair today. Is to say I love what you did on that podcast because there are so many moments that I can guarantee you people don't even remember, but they changed my trajectory or they changed the way I felt about myself or they changed the way I felt about a project. And I think the more people we can encourage to give that compliment, be kind in that situation, give that word of encouragement. That's why I always linger on these subjects because I think it's possible that if you talk to that coach, they're saying, I don't even remember what I said. I don't, I don't remember that, that moment. <laughs> but Victoria will never forget it. Yeah. And it changed your life. It's the reason why I'm sitting here with you today. Before we move on from that moment, I want to linger on words for a minute. I'm big on the words we use and how we frame situations. So you were thinking about quitting is the word you used. If you would have quit in 2012, do you think looking back, it would have been quitting or it would have been a chapter in your life closing and moving on. And why do you think it would have been one or the other? I really can't say. I don't know if it would have been a closing chapter. Let me ask that question a different way. What's the difference to you between moving on and quitting? And I know it's a tough question, but I try. I really think a lot about the words we use and how we frame situations. And one of the things, Victoria, I've had to learn in my life is that sometimes knowing when to move on is important. But separating moving on and closing a chapter from, quote, quitting, in my mind, has been a struggle for me. Because as athletes, we're always taught, yeah. don't quit. However, in business especially, sometimes it's time to walk away from an investment. Sometimes it's time to walk away from a business decision. Sometimes it's time to walk away from athletic pursuits. So I'd be curious how you would frame the difference between quitting and moving on. So now that you're putting it this way, this is that's great. That's really good to just kind of ponder on. For me, I think I'm in a time in my life right now where if I stop Taekwondo, it's not quitting. It's moving on. It's moving on to a different chapter of my life. I've done what I think I set out to do. To be honest, do I want to do more? Yes. In the sport, I do want to do more. But I I am at a point in my life that I am content to move on and I wouldn't consider it quitting. I think that point in my life, I was young. I had goals that I wanted to accomplish. And if I if I stopped there, that would have been quitting because I didn't reach those goals yet. I didn't get to where I wanted to be yet. And so that moment, that point in my life, that would be considered quitting. Do you think it's possible to set some really audacious goals, give complete effort and not reach those goals and still not be considered quitting? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a fascinating Absolutely. conversation. And to be yes. honest, the reason I'm asking, it's it's because it's something I've struggled with. I think I've had times where I've thought of it as quitting when really it was time to move on. And I, I think how we frame things in our mind, how we frame experiences are important. So that's yeah. why I'm eager to get an, an Olympian's point of view on the difference between the two. Oh, that's so good. 
I mean, for me, I, I won an Olympic gold medal. It wasn't just to compete at the Olympics. It was to get a gold medal. So did I get a gold medal? No. So for me, is this quitting because I didn't get my gold medal? No, it's it's moving on to next chapter, next phase. Something that I say too is God puts the desires in our heart. At that point in my life, I was trying to seek God with everything and and really listen to my heart and listen to him to tell me what to do and what not to do and our see what doors are open and what doors close. That's I always say that, Lord, you know, open doors, close them in my life. Tell me what you want to do and I'm there. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to take one step forward, another step forward. So at that point in my life, I knew in my heart, I knew in my heart that where I was was for a purpose, was for a reason. If I stopped, it would be quitting because I knew God had more things in store for me. But I didn't want to think of them. I didn't want to really think deeply and to those things of the future of what can possibly be. It was too difficult what I was going through, the pain, the, the suffering, the losses. All of that was too difficult. But those aren't excuses and those aren't reasons to quit. So that's that's my I think those are the differences. Uh, what I was going through. Number one, I went through injury, pain. I went through suffering with injury. I went through loss. So are those excuses to quit when I know I'm fully capable of coming back? No, those aren't reasons to quit for me. Now that I'm in a position in my life where I'm content with what I've done with my life, I'm content with who I am. I've learned who I am. I've gained my identity. I, I'm, I'm confident in what I've accomplished. Yet, it's not everything that I wanted to accomplish in the sport. It is not. It, I wanted to become world champion. I want to become Olympic champion. I still do. But at this time in my life, I understand if this is it for me, I am satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I don't think satisfied is a good word. I am content and willing to move on into bigger and better things in my life because I always know we're if we're still alive, God is not done with us. If we're still striving, if we're still motivated, if we're still pushing or whatever we're doing in life, my business, if I'm still grinding on that, then God has big things for me here. It doesn't matter what area of my life I'm in, if I'm still pushing, if I'm still being motivated, if I'm still working hard and committed with everything that I have, then I know that there's something big for me there. One of the things I'm observing just listening to you talk is Olympic gold medal or any goal or any achievement is not under your control. So what I settled on when I've explored this thought experiment over the years is that failure or quitting doesn't have anything to do with achieving a goal. Failure and quitting has to do with lack of effort. And for me, if lack of effort is not part of your story, then quitting and failure is not part of your story. That's what I've landed on. Oh, that's good. So I I, I think it's an interesting discussion because I think as high-level achievers, forget athletes, if you're someone who wants to achieve at a high level, you're going to set some goals that you may not uh, obtain. And that's outside your control. But what is in your control is lack of effort. So I've had some failures in my life. 
But when I've been back through those failures, lack of effort wasn't part of the story. So I've said this before is that you can fail without the experience of the person being a failure. And I think that's been true for a lot of us is if lack of effort's not part of your story, then I don't think failure is appropriate. I don't think quitting is appropriate. Absolutely. Well, let's let's move on. Let's go to Rio 2016. So you get back on the horse. You're looking at the Olympics in Rio in 2016. Walk us through the Rio qualifiers. So let's see. Okay, so now we passed Penn and Games. I'm 2016. I've been doing really well. I had three knee surgeries, one in 2012, two in 2013. I come back from them. I kind of gloss that over. Let's go oh, back yeah, there. Yeah. So 2000, so these are knee surgeries as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, as a result of this injury you had in 2012? Yes. Yeah, so actually, and we, the one in 2010, by the way, was never actually done right. It was actually a failed ACL. So now, now we're talking about back in 2010, 2011, 2012. I was competing with a failed ACL and I had no clue about it. I didn't know. Obviously, I can feel my body and I knew something wasn't right, but I've never experienced an ACL injury or surgery before. And I thought that's just kind of how it was. Like, that's just, that was the ACL injury. Ends up finding out, like, no, that's not the case and it's not the truth. So, 2012, I becomes a, a blessing in disguise that I just didn't know. But I I tear my ACL meniscus. I go see Dr. Lowe. The first time I meet him, I was advised about him, you know, how great he is. And he's a doctor for the Houston Texans and all the Houston sports, professional sports teams. And I was like, wow, you know, this is who I need to go see. I see him. He tells me, oh, yes, indeed, you know, your your left uh, ACL is gone. We need to do some surgery on that. And then your meniscus too. And before he leaves the room, I make sure I tell him, excuse me, sir, actually, my I, I feel like my parents didn't want me to because this is something I've complained to them for the past two years. I, t- I would tell them, you guys, I'm not the same. My, my knee is giving out. It's shifting out of place. I keep falling. I think my parents, well, more of my dad, he just didn't want that to be true. So I had to end up saying like, sir, can you give me a second? Can you actually check my right knee? Because I've been having issues. I had surgery back in 2010. It doesn't feel too good. Can you just check it out? He checks it out and he starts moving it around and he's like doing this shifting motion with it. And he looks at his assistant and then he looks back at me and then he says, this is worse than the left knee. Oh my goodness. He said, we're going to have to do surgery on this. And this is in 2013. This is in 2012, right after I tore my ACL meniscus in the left knee. But you've been on this knee for two years or over two years. Yeah, the the right knee. Right, right. So this is something that I've been dealing with for the two years. And that's a whole different, you know, mind game that I was dealing with. Like my mind wasn't right during those two years. That's one of the reasons why it was so easy for me to say I quit. At that moment. Because you were dealing with a lot of physical issues. Some of them you knew about and some of them you didn't. I was dealing with so much. I dealt with so much for the past two years. Trying to come back from my first knee surgery. Knowing I wasn't the same. Feeling I wasn't the same. 
it was a lot. So at that moment, when I knew what I did with my left knee, it was very easy for me to say, I quit. That's it. I'm done. But going back to, to seeing Dr. Lowe, I, I saw Dr. Lowe, I think like two weeks after this happened. And so when he confirmed it with me, he didn't even need the MRI. And I, obviously, I ended up getting MRI just to confirm everything. But he's he's like, there's nothing in here. There's nothing holding your knee. When I leave the, the doctor's office, I was just like, yes. I was so happy. I was just relieved. I was just like, I told you so kind of to myself. I knew it all along. I knew it all along that it wasn't right what I was feeling. It just wasn't right. But I had to kind of be like quiet about it and just brush it under the rug and keep going. Just keep going. That moment for me was everything. It was like, it was awesome. And you had a chance <laughs> to be your best. You knew you weren't your best. Exactly. You're like, wait a second. Now I've figured it out and I have a chance to be my best. Okay. Exactly. So Dr. Lowe fixes both knees in right. 2013 or so. Yes, yes. Okay. And moving forward. And then you're doing really well leading up to the 2016 games in Rio. Yeah. So I'm doing good with my, my health, my knees. 2016 comes and I've actually been selected. My So now my weight category was selected to go qualify for the Olympics. So number one, that was a huge thing in itself. Now, not only my weight category, but me specifically was selected to qualify. I was very excited about that. I, I kind of knew it in the back of my head because that's for the past two years, you know, after I came back from my knee surgeries, I told myself, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to qualify for the Olympics. I, I told myself all the time, you're going to qualify. You're coming back for a purpose. You're coming back because you are going to qualify. So I end up going through the process. I'm reading devotionals because my faith is very important to me in, in competing in my life. I'm reading devotionals. I'm trying to you know get encouraged, be inspired, be spoken to. And I end up coming across a devotional. It was like a 40-day devotional and you have to, we started on a specific day and you ended on a specific day and you have to read each devotional day by day kind of thing. And long story short, I, I read a devotional on day three and the title was named D8. The funny thing is on that day, I end up leaving to Mexico for the Olympic qualifiers out of gate D8. So do I say coincidence? I don't believe in that. So I, I was just like, what is going on? Like, I knew at that point I had to pay attention, pay attention to what I was reading and just be aware, just hyper aware of my surroundings, the people I'm coming in contact with, what I'm reading, what I'm putting into my mind, everything on my qualifying day, on, on the day of the qualifiers, I end up opening the book for the devotional and the devotional title on that day said, not yet or not now. And it says, huh, the Bible verse, it says, wait for the gift my father has promised. What did this do to you mentally? Did you? Oh, I freaked out. And so when I opened the book and I saw that, I closed my phone and I was like, okay, get that out of my mind, get out of my mind, it's out of my mind, like that devotional, I, I kind of like put the devotional down in a way like, oh, it's just devotional, oh, it's just a book, like whatever, like it doesn't mean anything. So I just kind of got that out of my mind. And actually, I was able to really get it out of my mind. And so the day I was 
preparing to go up to competition, while I was competing, everything, that never came across my mind once. I go into a competition day, I, I feel good. I'm like, I'm going to qualify today. I am so confident. I knew the competitors who I was going to fight. I, I was just very confident I was going to win. I was going to beat every one of them. There was three fighters. End up fighting the first one. I knew who she was. I beat her. And the second girl, she was, she was a good girl from Venezuela. I ended up beating her. And then the third fighter, I fought her two weeks before as like a test match. But during that test match, I beat her. It was pretty easy. And I, I knew like easy, easy day. So now I'm coming against this girl from Peru who I beat two weeks before and I was very confident going in and things just were not going my way. The favor was not on my side at all. And what I mean favor is just the favor of the, the referees and just little decisions that make a fight. So in Taekwondo, there's the referee has some say. It's a it's a electronic sensors on your on your feet and on your chest and on your headgear and so with the proper impact the points go up so the referees really have the say on penalties breaking up the fight so very little things the girl when i was fighting her she ended up doing penalties that weren't being called by the judge and later on in the fight finally was being called because you know it's just obvious and and then there was a headshot that I hit on the the last couple seconds I hit and made contact and I was like yes like that was it that was the one no points go up because it's the electronic sensors and at that time there was a lot of issues with the sensors not actually working but the point is if if you hit the sensor on the helmet and it doesn't mark up, you can't protest it. You can't do anything about it. Even though I hit her in the face and, and That's it was wild. It I was, mean you could literally knock someone out and if it doesn't register, they're gonna go, Oh well, we can't Oh, it's happened. Yeah. It's literally happened. Almost knockouts happen and the helmets won't register. To move you forward there, you end up losing that match and not qualifying. That match, yeah. Where were you shocked. mentally after that? <laughs> I was lost. I was like I was going insane because it felt that feeling to me, it felt like something was stolen. And if you've ever had something taken and stolen from you, something really personal and valuable, I mean, that's the that's the feeling that I can explain. That's the only way. It's like my ticket was taken from me. That was just the feeling that I can describe having. And I was just crying, crying uncontrollably, uncontrollably. I just couldn't help the whole night i've never cried all night before and until that day <laughs> and then waking up crying some more i've never experienced that so that was huge that was a that was a really big experience for me it's a big setback where you ever where you were in 2012 where you were thinking this was this is it or were you determined very quickly that you were going to continue on this path and continue your pursuit after the fight after all that happened all I can say is I hated Taekwondo. Like literally, that's I remember those are the thoughts in my head. Like I all hate athletes are having experience where they hate their sport. So right. you're not unique there. <laughs> no, but, it's normal. Yeah. And it's because one of the reasons, like, I can't believe how unjust this was and how unfair this is. 
And I hate that Taekwondo is so unfair. And so I was hating the fact that Taekwondo was unfair. I was hating the fact that I felt robbed. And what I can describe is remembering that I just hated Taekwondo at that point. And so I, I didn't want anything to do with it. After the fight, during that night, waking up. One of the things that I found immediately admirable about you when we first met is within minutes, your willingness to share about pursuing psychological help and your willingness to share when you needed a boost mentally. You went and looked for a performance psychologist to help. So between Rio and Tokyo, at some point you decided, I'm going to find mental help. I'm going to find emotional help to reach my goals. Walk me through what led to this decision to bring on a performance psychologist to your team. Yeah, I mean, I was going through a lot politically and physically here and there. I just knew I had to keep going. I, I knew I had to keep going and I knew that was placed on my heart heavy. So I had to keep going, had to keep walking and I had to get all the help that I can get. Again, like I say, I, I believe God puts certain people in our lives and certain professionals in our lives and they speak to us in the time that we need to hear and, and the way we need to hear it. So I think seeking professional help is very, very good idea. And it's one of the best things you can probably do for yourself if you want to reach your full potential, if you want to get to where you want to just have some aid getting to where you need to get or getting to where you want to be. In 2018, I had another meniscus surgery. It wasn't too bad. I was able to come back from it within two months, two, three months. Come back from that. I was doing well that next year, qualified for Pan Am Games, World Championships. Had some injuries along that year, actually had quite a bit of just like here and there injuries from my legs just all over. Ends up at the Pan Am Games in 2019. I tear my meniscus again. And I knew at that moment when I did it, what it was, because I felt it. It was during my first fight. It was during the second round. And I was winning. But I, when that happened, I went down and I told myself, get up. Get up right now, because if you stay down in your mind, you're you're gone. So, you know, when you go into the fight mentally, you're like in the zone. You're in zoned in. You're there to fight and to win and to score and minute by minute you're fighting right I knew if if I thought for a second longer on what just happened I was going to be out mentally I get back up I finish the fight I end up winning and then when I go back to the holding area I knew exactly what happened and I end up not winning the next fight and then after everyone's trying to tell me, oh, it's just a little this, it's just a little that. Oh, it's just a sprain. Oh, it's just this. So in my heart, I was like, no, I know what happened. But anyways, I go back, I see Dr. Lowe and he sees my knee and ends up, they go into surgery. They tell me they're going to take out another 15% of my meniscus. And so it's going to leave me with about 70% of my meniscus. And I was like, Oh, okay, you know, I think I can deal with that, you know, 70%. And, and they told me you should be fine with 70% of your meniscus. I go into the surgery, I'm, you know, like, I'm ready for it. I'm like, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to get out of this and like, just get back into training kind of thing. I was motivated. I was 
I, I wasn't saddened really at all. I knew what had to happen. During that surgery, Dr. Lowe goes to my parents and ends up telling me, hey, her meniscus just, it's gone. It's just worn and torn and it, there's no good tissue that we can save. And we are actually going to have to take out the whole thing. My parents just tell him, you know, please just do what you feel that's best to do for our daughter. So I wake up from surgery. I'm like super excited that I'm like awake and, you know, I can get back into training. Like that was like my first thought, like waking up. Oh, yes, we're finished here. In a month, I'll be back to training and I'm good to go. My dad is the one that tells me while I'm still sedated and everything, he tells me, you know, Dr. Lowe ended up having to do this, this and that. And I'm just like, whatever kind of thing, just kind of playing it off because I didn't fully understand. So Dr. Lowe ends up coming and kind of explains everything to me, what had to happen. And at that point, I just started crying and I just finally hit me. And that moment, I told myself being an athlete was taken away from me. I couldn't imagine being an athlete again, a high-level athlete, the athlete who I am without a meniscus. So at that point, I was just like, I was kind of like, what was taken? Something, it was taken from me. Like my athleticism, my, my, my identity, my, me being an athlete was taken from me. I almost felt that at that moment. That your body is kind of letting you down. Like no matter what, you had to some feel a bit snake bit. I mean, this is surgery number four. Five, six. six. Yeah, I'm having trouble keeping count. Uh, I mean, it's fascinating that even going into it, when I heard you say you were so excited to go into it, I think for most human beings, they think, God, you know, I'm giving everything I've got, but my body just keeps letting me down, keeps letting me down. Well, well, let me ask you this. Is this the point where you basically said, if I'm going to continue on this journey, I've got to bring in some emotional and mental training and and tackle that with the same veracity as I do my physical training? Absolutely. It had to happen kind of in that um, intensity because I changed. I changed a lot. It was like a whole brand new person waking up and having a brand new life. So I had to change. Explain that to me. You changed. You mean you didn't feel like you were the athlete you once were? What did you mean by that? Oh, everything. <laughs> so yeah, an athlete I once was. Mentally, I had to change. My diet, I had to change. The way I thought, what I did, who I seeked out to, everything had to change. I became vegan after that. I'm strictly plant-based for the past three years now. It's just like little things like that. I fully committed myself to be the best I can be with what I had at that point. Point at that moment, I, I seeked out whatever I can do to make myself better, whatever I can do to get to that point of qualifying for the Olympics. At that point, I, I said a prayer and I told God, I surrender whatever. If this is what you're going to have for me to do, you're going to have to bring the right people in my life. You're going to have to open the right doors in my life, but I'm done. I'm done pushing. I'm done struggling. I'm done like trying to make this happen. I asked God, do it. Because I, I totally surrendered. If this is what you have for me, you're going to let it be. So I seeked out mental training. Uh, that's when I went to, to Lenny. Uh, that was great. That's something I absolutely obviously needed. With all the pain and everything that, I've, that I had been going through at that point, I needed to speak to someone about it. We all need to speak 
about whatever we have in here, whatever is in here in our mind and our heart. Like I said, it's connected. I believe the heart and the mind is connected. So when whatever we have in our heart, whatever is in our mind, it's going to come out and we have to just let it. It doesn't have to be for me, like my talks with Lenny wasn't majority of it wasn't um and for sports. listeners that's dr lenny wade who is a yes. performance psychologist okay dr. go ahead lenny, yes i call her lenny now because she's just well you know that, what i think is so person. interesting is for so many years and through my entire athletic career good enough would have never been good enough physically for us that was always so intuitive but for whatever reason good enough mentally or emotionally always seemed to suffice for athletes for so many years and i find it interesting that that never clicked for me and it never clicked for most athletes. It's just, it's not like you would go to the gym and say, uh, physically, I don't need to be great. No, I'm going to be great physically. Why not be great mentally? Why not be great emotionally? And it's, it's now part of our culture in sport. We think about that, speak about that. But for so many years, it was, let's be great physically, but emotionally we'll just be good. It was like, if you're not good emotionally or mentally, you're weak. Yeah. Or like you were thought of like, uh, you're not you're not strong enough. What's wrong with you? You know, you had something wrong with you. And and now, you know, like you're saying, we're at a point where it's we we can be more open about seeking. It's a muscle. Yeah. We can train it. Just like you can train your biceps, you can train your mind to release those nerves or release those negative emotions. What would you say were the greatest skills you developed consistently meeting with a psychologist that you were lacking prior? I think for me, really, the the biggest thing was realizing that the things that I was going through in my, you know, for performance, it had less to do with my actual sport and more to do with my personal life, uh, the things that I was dealing with in my personal life, with my relationships with my uh, um, federation and the Puerto Rican Federation. So it's politics and, and things like that. And being able to understand that because before I don't think understanding I they were linked. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't understand that all of that has a lot to do with your performance. The personal things that we go through our relationships at, at home, wherever the, the people we're surrounded with all that it's linked to our performance. And I kind of never linked that, you know, it's kind of like separated training and what we do and how we are at the gym and, and yada, yada. And then like our relationships separate, but it's so, oh man, it's so linked. It's so, everything is connected. Let's move forward to Tokyo. So now you've been through two Olympics, you've had two setbacks and a number of setbacks physically going into Tokyo. Did you put any additional stress on yourself of thinking this may be my last chance what were, where were you mentally going into tokyo oh man yeah absolutely so going to tokyo i would say the feeling for me was tired i was tired i was tired mentally emotionally physically and not only tired i was lonely i felt alone explain that what do you mean you felt alone I was literally alone. Leading up to Tokyo, uh, one of the biggest things I was going through was a concussion. I had a, a big concussion at the beginning of 2021. So it's literally six months before I'm competing at Tokyo. I get a blow to the top of my head, 
with our warehouse door. Your overhead door. So, yeah, if you come to my, my, my gym, it's a big warehouse and it's a big door. And so if you get hit by that thing coming down, you know, you're going to have a good uh, hit. So the symptoms are months and months and now four months and now five months. And even going into Tokyo, I'm still having symptoms. So it was a very hard to to cope with it and to to train with the concussion and the symptoms of the concussion and it, it's kind of depressing. Obviously, it's depressing. It, it, you're like you want to give everything you have. You want to give blood, sweat, and tears and just grind so hard, and you can't. You can't because you physically, you know, it just your head hurts like. Pain, pain, painfully. You can't sleep at night. So you're not getting enough sleep. You can't get hit. I do a full contact sport. And so I can't practice hitting 100% because it hurts my head. I can't practice being hit because it hurts my head. So all this stuff I was going through is very difficult. So I was going through all this, which was making me tired. So I, I'm being you know, worn down, worn down with trying to, trying to give it everything, but just can't. It's like a constant struggle for the five months leading up to the Olympics. So I was tired. And then when I get there, I'm lonely because politically I was going through a lot. I wasn't able to have my own coach. So my personal coach was not able to go. I ended up going with the head coach for the Puerto Rican Federation. And it's not like I train with him. That's a that's a big thing. Absolutely. When you did qualify, and I know you're big on the achievement not being the story, but did, were you able to take in that moment and celebrate that accomplishment when you now, after I don't know how many years you had made an Olympic team, was there a moment where you did celebrate that victory? Oh, gosh, I celebrated the whole pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it was kind of fun because... You know, p- pandemic is not fun. I'm not trying to say that, but kind of pausing our life for a year. It was kind of like I was celebrating that victory for that whole year because everything kind of just stopped at that point because the pandemic hit right after I qualified. The next day, everything was shut down. No tackle, no tournaments. I was able to qualify and then everything gets shut down. While everything's shut down, I'm still able to celebrate and be happy. And it was honestly, I, I, and I, I don't take the pandemic lightly and everything that happened. But in my life specifically, it was actually a very good time in my life. It was life. a special it moment was a very for you. Special and time it was, in my life. so for those listening, the 2020 ga- games get moved to 2021. So you've qualified and you have a year to basically celebrate and prepare. But at some point, you end up having this concussion, which you alluded to earlier. And so I'm going to move you forward a little bit in the interest of times. But I asked you about that because sometimes it's hard to see victories in an experience when they end up not turning out the way we envision them. So when you do end up going to Tokyo, you end up losing in your first fight, I believe, and your Olympics is basically over very, very quickly. And I know that you were immensely disappointed at this time, but I'm going to not linger there. I want to fast forward. Shortly after you returned home, you had a change of perspective on your Olympic experience. So what I want to ask you is, what did that experience teach you? You Achieving this milestone of going to the Olympics, but then not performing like you had hoped to, 
being extremely disappointed. But then at some point you transitioned and you saw that experience at the Olympics from a different side. So walk me through what you learned from that experience. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot. And I think it's cool, like finally being on a a podcast show after the Olympics. (laughs) But (laughs) but I think that's the best time to to ask and to, you know, talk to someone what they've learned, what they've learned. Yeah. Reflect. What do you what have you learned despite your loss? And Number one for me, I'll, I'll give you a background story for me. Obviously, going into the Olympics, I wasn't in the best space. Again, I was lonely. I didn't have a team. I didn't have a coach. I, I, was, I wasn't at a, a good place in my life. Let's just say that. And I go into the Olympics, and, and it's fight day, and it almost doesn't even feel real. I feel like literally I'm just by myself. It's That's not the experience that you it's had not, hoped it would be in your head, I imagine. It's not yeah. the experience that I had hoped or thought of. But anyways, after the fight, all I can remember is just sense of relief. Like it's over. Like it's over. Finally, it's over. All the waiting, all this, ah, uh, just, I was tired. How wild is that? That this goal you've put on this pedestal for your entire life, 28 years or something like that. And then once you get there, you feel a relief when it's over. You realize that it's not it's not really the story. Oh, that's so weird, right? That's not the story. The that day is not the the whole point. It's not the story. The it's the journey. Like for me, it was everything that I've learned and I, everything all the hard things that I went through leading up to the to the Olympics to that day. The weeks before the day that I fought, you know, what I experienced all those experience before and even the the day of experiencing that and what i felt it helped me realize it's not everything that i thought it would be and it's really not everything in the world like this isn't life well i i really <laughs> liked the story that you shared and you wrote about you said after you had come back i think you were still quite disappointed a young boy came into your gym found out you were an olympian and he says, did you win? And I think the way you kind of wrote is you were quite embarrassed and sheepishly. You had to tell this young boy, no, I didn't win. And then his mother very quickly corrected you and said, no one who goes to the Olympics is lost. You won. It kind of seems like that was the start of your transition to realizing that. Yeah, I get emotional with playing that uh, that moment back because... I don't even think they go to our gym. <laughs> it was like, it was just a really random ex- interaction with those people. Um, yeah, the mom comes in and, and tells me, looks me in the face. Sorry. It's fine. It's, it was a powerful moment reading it for me. I'm just going to try not to think about the the whole moment, but. The mom comes in and she looks me in the face and she tells me like, no, you, you didn't lose. Anyone who's gone to the Olympics has not lost. That's not a loss. Or forget about gone to the Olympics. Anyone who's walked the journey to get there. Oh, yeah. I think that's what you're really, it's not, the, it's not going to the Olympics. It's doing what had to be done to get to the Olympics. Anyone who does that, we talk oh, about gosh. lack of effort or effort, given that effort, there's no loss there. Oh, that's but that's so true. that's really hard to know in the moment. 
again, we'll point out these powerful voices, this random woman and her child. It would have been really easy for her to just go about her day. But to stop and say, no, wait a second. I see this differently and I think you should. Go ahead. Keep going. That's that's great. Following up on what you, you're saying about the journey, I've, I have so many friends. I know so many people their whole life. They're training for the Olympics. That's all they want to do. They want to go to the Olympics. So you have all these, not only Taekwondo athletes, but athletes in all different sports that their whole life, they're training for the Olympics and their their dream is to go to the Olympics. And what I have to say to all those people who have that dream of one day competing at the Olympics, whether you tried and it didn't work, number one, I say, you still won. Like you were saying, you won because that journey alone, just the effort that you put in your life of doing what you say you want to do, that goal that you had in mind, that effort... Everything that you experienced is a win. That's living. For me, that's what I call, that's living. You're living. You're finally living because you're putting a big goal out there. Every single day, you're working to that goal. And if you're putting your full effort in, just like you're saying, then you have nothing to be ashamed of or sad about, but everything to look back and, and say to yourself, I'm so glad I pursued that goal even though I didn't reach it, but look who I've become. The person that we're shaped into during our journey is the whole point. It's the main reason of life. This is how I believe. I believe that God is more concerned of the person that we become in our life rather than what we achieve in our life. God is constantly putting circumstances in our life to shape us and to mold us. And whether if it's going to be a win or a loss, you know, that that might be given to us or cer- certain circumstances along our goals to shape our character and make us equipped for who we need to be going forward. I love that word becoming. I love that. I'm grateful for this emotion. I'm grateful for your honesty, for your vulnerability, both today and Every day, if you go back through Victoria's timeline and her social media, which I did in preparation, you'll see how open you are and how vulnerable you are. And I'm grateful for that. As someone who's learning from you while listening to you and researching you, you share openly that you had plans to quit many times. You share openly that you cried yourself to sleep. You share openly about these disappointments. You share how rewarding your journey's been. But you're also very clear about how messy it's been, how difficult it's been, how challenging it's been. And I'm grateful for this because I think it's really easy to filter your journey once you're on the other side. If there's such thing, there's probably a better phrase from that. But you know what I'm saying? Once you're past it, once you've moved past it, you either achieve the goal. It's easy to filter that journey, but I don't think that's helpful for those that are in the middle of the forest or in the middle of the path. I think it's far more helpful to share how rewarding your journey is, but also be very clear about how difficult it's been, how messy it's been. And maybe without that difficulty, without that messiness, the journey's not really that rewarding. I mean, share with me why you've decided to be so open and so vulnerable about your journey. Yeah, the the main reason is because 
everything, our circumstances, the things that happen in our life, it's not for us only. It's not just for us. It's for other people. It's for us to share. It's for us to help. It's for us to encourage. It's for us to motivate. It's for us to inspire. It's for the people in the next generation behind us that are trying to accomplish maybe similar goals as us and they need someone to look up to. We have to be the light. Who's going to be the light? There's so much there's so much darkness in this world, I say. There's so much bad influence and especially with social media, everyone being their best and showing their best side, but no one showing the dirty stuff. And we have to be able to be vulnerable because everything that we experience someone's experienced it too. No one's experienced something new. We've all been going through the same thing. Nothing has changed. And so if we can be open about the experiences and the, the difficulties that we've gone through, we can come together. We can actually be more of a, of a one human race and just be more loving towards one another, more compassionate. But we're always trying to put ourselves up and, you know, and be competing all the time with one another, then, you know, we're always separating ourselves and trying to create competition where there doesn't have to be one. We all have similar experiences. And if we can come together and, and always come together with those experiences and difficulties, then we can come together in love and compassion and encouragement. I love the way you phrase that. Your journey's not just for you. I think that is so beautiful and so well said and so succinct. One of the things that I want to do for this platform is take Olympians, take professional athletes, take successful business people and point out that their journeys zigzag. Their journeys are messy because I think it's really easy to stand back and see Victoria from afar and think that your path was linear. And then you get discouraged because you're going, well, Victoria went on this linear path to becoming an Olympian and she had this great life. And so my past doesn't look like that. And so I'm discouraged. Well, when people like you share, no, 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 my path zigzagged. Sometimes that path turned around and went the opposite direction I wanted it to go. When you share in that way, I think you encourage others to say, wait a second, I'm not that different. And I think that's the powerful thing about what you just said. And I've never thought of it that way, but that's where I want to leave it is your journey is not just for you. I think that's beautifully said. I mean, anything else you want to add, but that's a great place to leave it. That's one of the main things that was on my heart with all the experiences that I've gone through is that we were meant to share them and and be vulnerable. Uh, I think vulnerability is a sense of confidence and a sense of knowing just who you are and being content with everything that you've experienced in your life to help others. I had another guest once say, you know, sometimes being strong looks the opposite of what you typically think is strong. And so when you say vulnerability, I think vulnerability is strength. Absolutely. And sometimes strength comes in different forms and shapes and looks different ways. Absolutely. Victoria, this has just been a a delight. It's been beautiful. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you.